0: You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. We've been able to buy about 30 million ounces of silver. Uh, Now, I'm not trying to say it's always been easy, but we've been able to do it. We're probably the largest real physical silver buyer in the world. Uh, And so we get very good service from the market, Uh, but it has actually begun to become difficult for institutions to buy silver.
1: Thank you for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I'm your host, Bill Powers, and we're doing our monthly check-in with the one and only Rick Rule of Sprott U.S. Holdings. He is the president and CEO. However, he's only going to be the president and CEO for a little under two weeks. Rick, I saw that you are going to be retiring. And I said to myself, how can Rick rule retire when he brings so much passion to this sector and what he does? And so my question for you is why are you retiring? And also is there, because you're such a key influential player, is there any greater significance to the sector as a whole that we can take away from your retirement?
0: Uh, Bill, I would prefer to say I'm uh, involved in a reset rather than retiring. Uh, I think formal retirement for someone as active as me would be probably literally fatal. Uh, But at this stage in my life, uh, I want to do a few things differently. Uh, My wife and I, as you know, have moved into our dream home. uh, And I'd like to spend some time in it. And I'd like to spend some time with her. Uh, She supported me in my work life for 45 years. Uh, she needs to be able when the COVID-19 virus subsides to take a trip with me that doesn't involve a mind tour and a conference, Uh, (laughs) which is to say her and I, I look forward to that. Two, uh, I've decided at age 68 that I'm going to do a lot more of what interests me and a lot less of what doesn't interest me. And I had two roles at Sprott, uh, one involved in corporate administration and management uh, and the other involved in finra regulated transactional management which is to say not money management per se but stock brokerage that brought me increasingly small amounts of joy and increasingly large amounts of grief and so i'm going off the formal sprout payroll uh, i'm relieving myself of all administrative duties uh, and i'm giving up my series 7 stockbroker's license I will still be very active within Sprott as the largest shareholder of Sprott, the largest private client of Sprott, a member of the Sprott board of directors, uh, a sub-advisor managing several investment products for Sprott, a mentor to younger and older money managers at Sprott, and in addition, uh, a a mentor to the private wealth team that I worked so hard to build up at Sprout Global all these years. So I'll still be very involved in Sprout. The other thing I'm going to do, Bill, is I'm going to cross the fence in a sense. Uh, I'm taking the assets of Sprout Media, uh, which includes the Vancouver Conference and the Sprouts Thoughts newsletter, and I'm going to operate those businesses. Uh, because of the regulatory constraints involving FINRA, I was unable to comment uh, on events daily uh, or on companies as well as I would like to as a consequence of FINRA regulation. So I would make a comment on something like, say, the silver squeeze, uh, and and my comments would spend two or two and a half weeks in compliance before they could be released. I understand completely from Sprott's point of view that they were required to do that. But it limited my ability to have discussions uh, with uh, an audience that I have come to enjoy to a degree that at age 68 had become really intolerable to me. My suspicion is that I will be of more benefit to Sprout clients and Sprout shareholders, not being an employee, but merely being a director and a client uh, than I was uh, as deeply buried in the regulatory morass around Sprott as I had become.
1: So for people like me and my listeners, are we going to get a more raw and relaxed Rickroll? Is that what we should expect in this next season of life?
0: Well, I've always been pretty relaxed, but I'm looking forward to being much more raw. Uh, (laughs) You know, when people have asked me about a stock that was on the Sprott's restricted list, uh, I had to say, I can't comment or I'm in position of material non-public information. That non-public information was, if we like the deal, we might finance it. It wasn't particularly germane. But the laws, uh, given what they were, uh, constricted me from commenting on that. Even Uh, companies like, or or, pardon me, investment products like, uh, you know, the Sprott Gold and Silver Trust or the Sprott uh, Platinum and Palladium Trust, Uh, when we have evergreen prospectuses, which we do, uh, I was precluded from commenting on it. The idea that I was precluded from commenting on a product that I helped create uh, was particularly grating to me. And I look forward to uh, what you might call the liberation of Rick Rule.
1: Rick, our first interview was actually in person three years ago at PDAC. And what stands out to me was not anything you said in the interview, but then after we clicked stop recording, you spent another 30 minutes with me asking questions, letting me ask you questions. So I bring that up to say, uh, when i study studied psychology, there's a psychologist called Eric, Eric, Eric Erickson, and he has stages of development. One of the last stages is generativity versus stagnation. So When you look at yourself and being generative and pouring into others for an altruistic reason, not expecting to get something else in return, I mean, what more can you say on a personal level of what you want to do in that regards in this next season of your life?
0: Well, certainly altruism is a consumer good uh, from my point of view. Some people look at it as an obligation. And perhaps it's an obligation to me too, in the sense that I benefited in my youth from an incredible collection of mentors who expended an enormous amount of energy on me. Uh, And yes, I understand that I have a societal obligation to pay that forward, but the truth is it feels good. Uh, I enjoy that. I've I've enjoyed as an example, watching your success. I've watched your curiosity begin to mold you uh, as both an analyst and a communicator. Uh, And that gives me uh, extraordinary pleasure Uh, I I don't think that you make the world a better place by doing things like voting. I don't think that you make the world a better place by attempting to prevail over others politically. Uh, I think you make the world a better place one transaction and one friendship at a time. Uh, I have been blessed in that one of the few skills that I have is making money Uh, And that's a skill that other people are very interested in. And I have found that in the course of teaching people how to make money, I can have lots of discussions with them. One example would be very recently uh, in this Reddit Robinhood inspired silver craze. I've been able to talk to literally thousands of young speculators about the silver market. And while I talk to them about the silver market, I can introduce elements of libertarian political and social philosophy. I could never, as an old, fat, bald, 68 year old pawnbroker, uh, interest these kids uh, in my philosophy of life until I talked to them about something that they were passionate about, which is to say, getting ahead in life. Uh, and, And so taking advantage of opportunities like these on a timely basis um I wouldn't say it keeps me young because i'm not young, but it certainly keeps me uh involved. <laughs>
1: Tier 1 Silver is a Canadian precious metals company focused on the exploration and discovery of world-class silver and gold deposits in Peru. The company's management team has a record of monetizing exploration successes and a strong ability to raise capital. Tier 1 has assembled a portfolio of assets in Peru including Amelia, Coastal Batholith, the Wheel Icoyo project and the flagship silver gold project Curibaya, which is rapidly advancing towards its first drill program. Tier 1's listing is pending on the TSX Venture Exchange under the ticker T-S-L-V. To learn more and to stay updated, go to tier1silver.com. That's tier1silver.com. Rick, you sent me a short email when the silver squeeze on Reddit was being pushed and you said, these kids are trying to make us rich, which uh, put a smile on my face. (laughs) What role do you think that the silver squeeze social media push has a play in higher silver prices?
0: You know, if you would have asked me six weeks ago, I would have said very little. Um, there were widespread reports of silver shortages and there were silver shortages in retail denominations, you know, 30 gram product, hundred gram product, thousand gram product, but there was no silver shortage in institutional product, 400 ounce product, thousand ounce product. Um, We have been able, we meaning Sprott uh, in the last 12 months, the website will have the exact number, but we've been able to buy about 30 million ounces of silver. Uh, Now, I'm not trying to say it's always been easy, but we've been able to do it. We're probably the largest real physical silver buyer in the world. Uh, And so we get very good service from the market. Uh, But it has actually begun to become difficult for institutions to buy silver. Uh, As you know, and again, I would refer your listeners to our website, but to the extent that we grow our trust, in other words, to the extent that people buy uh, trust units uh, and rather than allow the trust to trade at a premium, we buy silver. Uh, we are forced, because the only assets that we can have are a small amount of cash to run the trust and physical silver, uh, we're forced to buy silver uh, to cover. Uh, and so we have been very consistent and very aggressive buyers of silver in the market to accommodate the trust. And it hasn't been any particular difficult difficulty. Uh, our trader might tell you differently. Uh, but let me, let me put it differently. We have been able to accomplish that on a consistent basis, but I get reports back, not just from our own desk now, but from some of the service desks, uh, that it, uh, it isn't easy. So I would suspect that, uh, the shortage in retail product has begun to spill over. Uh, into physical product and silver, which is interesting. What's probably more important is, and I call them the kids um, fondly, uh, the kids collectively have actually begun to change the dynamic of the silver market for my whole career, or certainly since the uh, hunt attempt at cornering the silver market broke the uh, Futures market, the paper silver market, has really driven the physical market, which is to say a great big fat tail has wagged the dog, Uh, to the extent that there are uh, many days now where the futures market trades 200 times the silver on a daily basis of the inventory available for physical delivery. The future market's extremely liquid. It almost never physically settles. It always cash settles. You know, you have hedgers and speculators and everybody else there. But the idea that the physical market uh, is driven by the paper market uh, has always been a bit amusing to me. And the manipulation that's so often described in the silver market, in my experience, mostly takes place with very large participants uh, getting big laddered positions in the futures market, which is extremely liquid and extremely leveraged. And then manipulating the futures market by making on-market transactions in the physicals market that changes the dynamic of the futures market. You'll notice these midnight sales, these large sales of silver into the physicals market. I can't prove that that's manipulation, but why would somebody sell a large amount of silver at a point in time when there were no bids in the market? if you weren't trying to deliberately drive the futures, the the physical price down in order to uh, profit from positions that you had already established in the futures market. What the young people have done is uh, exposed in very dramatic fashion, the structure of the silver market. Uh, I don't have access to good figures because nobody does, but I suspect if 200 million ounces of silver Or, pardon me, if contracts for 200 million ounces of silver were held for physical delivery, which is to say, not rolled over for cash, uh, that we would really truly disrupt the silver market.
1: Would that break the dam?
0: No, because the dam won't break. Remember that the comics is run for the benefit of the comics, not for you and me. So, what would likely happen is that they would change the rules of the game very much like they did the hunts, and they would require 100% margin. For short positions, or 150 percent margin, or if that didn't work, 200 percent margin. Then, uh, and I'm speculating here, they'd halt the market, uh, and they'd say that we're going to cash settle at market, except that there wouldn't be any cash in any market to cash settle for. So they would derive an arbitrary market, a negotiated market, and cash settle. The idea that you're going to break the COMEX uh, and break the institutional shorts. And by the way, I don't believe that there has been a decade or two decade long uh, conspiracy to manipulate the silver price down. I believe that central bankers talk precious metals down because precious metals is a vote of no confidence in central bankers. I, and I definitely know, no, no is the wrong phrase. I definitely believe that from time to time, all financial markets that are leveraged are manipulated by big bank trade desks. I mean, they can, they can manipulate markets as large as the U.S. Treasury market or the LIBOR market. So in that circumstance, manipulating the silver market is a piece of cake. I don't believe that you are going to break the LME or you are going to break COMEX with a short squeeze because they'll change the rules. <laughs> what has happened, however, and what I think will happen is that millions of young people got introduced to the silver narrative as a consequence of the GameStop narrative. Uh, most of those young people, 80% of them, will drive on uh, in search of uh, some other hot narrative. But perhaps 20% of those young people will come to understand silver speculation and silver investment for what it is. And the inclusion of that energy, of that talent, of that capital, of that interest, uh, I think will change the silver market for years to come and for the better In every circumstance, whether or not they adopt a long attitude or a short attitude, the fact that they are uh, in the market as active participants, thinking and contributing is a wonderful thing. You and I have talked, uh, and you're an example of it, of the democratization of information. When I was a young man, financial information came to us from the top down. It was fed to us by investment banks, uh, who often perhaps didn't have our best interests at heart. Or it was fed to us by major news organizations, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal. Information comes from everywhere now. This democratization of information, including peer-to-peer information, while it's very messy and while there's a lot of misinformation, is an unalloyed good. Uh, Probably just as importantly, you need to know a lot less these days. You just need to know how to know. Most of the knowledge that's ever been accumulated in the history of mankind is available at Google. Just get in a discussion with your wife where she thinks you're wrong. Uh, And this combination of the democratization of paradigm, including peer-to-peer, and access to information online means that the nature of financial markets is changing very, very rapidly. And when markets become more free, uh, which is what happens when information uh, and paradigm becomes more free, the markets over time become much more resilient and much more stout. So I'm, I'm just, as you can hear, uh, I'm pleased as punch to be uh, part of this. Part of my um, transition from Sprout is that the business known as Sprout US Media is leaving Sprout and going with me. It's going to be re- rebranded rule investment media. Uh, and and I look forward to doing my Bill Powers imitation in my declining years. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh,
1: well, you know, you're Bill. my alter ego, Rick. So I'm doing uh, my imitation of Rick Rule doing this show.
0: Yeah. Bill Powers without hair, perhaps. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Rick, when, when you look at what happened with AME or AMC and GME, those stocks, and how Robinhood and I believe Interactive Brokers didn't even allow them to buy the stock anymore, you could only sell. Is there any, as a broker, is there any historical parallel to what they did?
0: I understand why they did what they did. Uh, They were um, lending money to inexperienced speculators to buy grossly overvalued penny stocks. Uh, I wouldn't have had to suspend trading because at a certain point in time, the credit risk to me would have been so high Uh, that I would have done what they did uh, much, much, much earlier. From a credit perspective, uh, interactive brokers almost had to be short GameStop GameStop, because they had so much GameStop on their books as collateral for loans. Imagine that a stock starts the month at $4 and it goes to $40. And you are lending 50% of collateral against a $40 market that had four weeks before been a $4 market, uh, your chief risk officer and your credit officer uh, are aging about a month a day uh, because these stocks are so volatile up and down. And the only collateral that you have uh, against a 20-year-old that has his or her total net worth involved in the equity side of that print is a 50% credit against a sock that's up uh, 1,000 or 2,000. Uh, Was there, too, some element uh, of hedge fund protection or something like that in there? Sure. But believe me, uh, had I run interactive brokers uh, and was I being asked by clients to provide 50 or 60 percent collateral uh, against a stock that I thought was worth about 10 percent of the market, uh, X, the short squeeze, uh, in other words, where I found myself under collateralized by 500%, I would have taken actions to protect myself.
1: That makes sense. Well, Rick, you mentioned the uh, Sprott Media is going with you. So wh- where does that leave the offering you give to my listeners
0: of a portfolio review mo- moving forward? I- I've had more fun with those portfolio reviews, Bill. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy Discussing investments with investors, old ones, young ones, American ones, Nigerian ones. Uh, And there is no conversation starter better than an investor's own wealth. The lessons that I would like to teach uh, in my own fairly dry pedantic uh, way uh, pale uh, before before discussions that you can get into using uh, the client's own portfolio as the lesson. If I talk about a silver stock, if I want to talk about the nature of speculation, rather than talking about the nature of speculation in isolation, I can talk about it in the context of a stock that he or she owns. And they're predisposed to want to hear what I have to say. Uh, two, I've learned an enormous amount Uh, You can tell by the questions asked and juxtaposing the questions asked against the portfolio held, how that person thinks, how that person has been educated. It makes me a better speculator. It makes me a better manager of other people's money. And in particular, it makes me a better teacher. When I take the time to understand the data that the person has given me, uh, I know what he or she is doing right. I know what he or she is doing wrong. Uh, It's been an enormous gift to me.
1: And that still will be offered to listeners even as you transition?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm building a small team to help me do that. Uh, But I'll still, of course, rely to the extent that I'm allowed, which I suspect will be very high, uh, to access the talent within Sprott, the geological expertise, the engineering expertise, the financial modeling expertise.
1: So next time we talk in about five, six weeks, will you have retired your license that will allow you to talk specific stocks or what should I expect in six weeks when we talk again?
0: That's my hope. Uh, I've retained independent counsel that will tell me much more specifically what I'm legally entitled to do and, and probably what from a policy perspective I can do if I uh, ran afoul of federal regulators without running afoul of federal regulation, the last thing that I want to do is get myself you know, in, a, in a pissing match with federal regulators, even were I to win. Uh, so I, I need to set up operating protocols that will allow me to live my life freely uh, at, the, at the same time as it will allow me to give my audience more value that I have been allowed to give in the last five years.
1: Excellent. Well, you've been listening to the one and only Rick Roll in his waning days as president and CEO of Sprott U.S. Holdings. He'll be back on the show in six weeks. Rick, always appreciate your contribution to my show. Thank you very much.
0: Pleasure. And I'd like to reiterate that offer. Uh, Any listeners who care what I have to say about their natural resource portfolio uh, are invited to submit that portfolio for review. Uh, I will rank your natural resource stocks Please, no cannabis stocks. Please, no technology stocks. Limit an old man to what he does best. Go to a website, sprotusacom forward slash rankings. Uh, enter your natural resource holdings, and I will rank them one to 10, one being best, 10 being worst. I will comment on individual issues where I think my comments might have value. And if you care, mention charts in the question line. And I will send you a copy of the Barron's Gold Mining Index. I include that because it's the longest-running and most inclusive gold equities index on the planet, at least the one that I'm aware of. And I'll also include, if you'd like, a 100-year commodity chart, which will talk about other industrial commodities and their valuations relative to other aspects of the economy. One more time, sproutusacom forward slash rankings.
1: And the link will be in the show notes. Thanks for joining me, Rick.
0: Thank you, Bill. Appreciate the opportunity.